Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. Season 7 of Jury Duty focuses on two sexual assault trials, the trials of Harvey Weinstein and Danny Masterson, that are currently taking place at the same time on the same floor of the Clara Shortridge Fultz Criminal Courts Building in downtown Los Angeles. Two times per week, on Mondays and Thursdays, you will hear new episodes with reports from journalists who are in the courtrooms as these trials are happening. On today's installment, we hear the latest on witness testimony from our correspondents who are inside the courtroom for both these trials. That's all coming up right after the break. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We begin today's installment with Brittany Bookbinder and her look at witness questioning in the Los Angeles trial of Danny Masterson. On the morning of Wednesday, November 9th, the prosecution called Jane Doe 4, an alleged victim of Danny Masterson, whose allegations are not charged in this case. Unlike the other victims, Jane Doe 4 was never a member of the Church of Scientology. It would seem that the prosecution's strategy in presenting Jane Doe 4's testimony to the jury was to help corroborate the narratives of the other victims, as there were certain similarities that would seem to indicate a pattern in Masterson's alleged behavior. Before Jane Doe 4 took the stand, and outside the presence of the jury, defense attorney Philip Cohen raised a couple of issues pertaining to this witness. First, he asked that Jane Doe 4 be prohibited from talking about Masterson's, quote, pattern of behavior, end quote, which is something she mentioned in an interview. Judge Olmedo didn't specifically make a ruling about the word pattern. She pointed out that, as there are three named victims, the people are alleging, to some extent, a pattern, but that the witness may not comment on anything beyond the named victims and her own experience. Next, Cohen brought up, once again, the inference that the victims were drugged. Judge Olmedo stated that she is allowing witnesses to testify about what they ingested and how they felt. She mentioned that Jane Doe 4 would only be questioned about one of her two incidents involving Masterson, and in that incident, Jane Doe 4 is not alleging that Masterson provided her with a drink. Olmedo indicated that the probative value of Jane Doe 4's alcohol and marijuana intake is relevant to her ability to remember the details of that day and her ability to perceive what occurred. With that, the trial resumed. Jane Doe 4 entered the courtroom in a dark turtleneck and long skirt covered with a tan shrug. Unlike the other victims in this case, who are fairly tall with long, light brown or blonde hair, Jane Doe 4 is petite, with dark brown hair and bangs. Under direct examination with Deputy DA Reinhold Mueller, Jane Doe 4 recounted that she met Masterson while working on a film in 1996. She indicated that they were friendly on set, but that she would occasionally notice him staring at her. She described his gaze as cold and harsh, and stated that it left her feeling intimidated. Jane Doe 4 then gave testimony about her first incident with Masterson, which took place on the night of the rap party for that film. The party started at La Poubelle, where Jane Doe 4 had two glasses of wine. While they were at the restaurant, Jane Doe 4 recalls that Masterson stared at her without saying anything. She was unsettled and uncomfortable. 
Masterson then invited the group back to his house. She had several more drinks and smoked a blunt with Justin Pierce, another castmate with whom she had formed a friendship. She described herself as, quote, lightly drunk and not wasted, end quote. Jane Doe 4 recalled that later that night, Masterson invited the group to crash at his house. She decided to stay in the same room as Justin. He took the bed while she laid down on the floor, fully clothed, and fell asleep. Jane Doe 4 testified that she woke up to Masterson trying to lift her up. He was, quote, appearing to be brotherly, saying something about Justin taking advantage of her, end quote. She kicked Masterson away and pushed him off of her while saying that Justin wasn't doing anything to her and that she wanted to stay where she was and sleep. She indicated that, quote, Justin and I were both conveying that I was fine, end quote. Masterson, she stated, quote, wasn't having it, end quote, and insisted that she leave the room. Jane Doe 4 stated that while Masterson was trying to lift her up, she lost consciousness. When she regained consciousness, Masterson had his arms around her and was dragging her down the hallway. She blacked out again. The next thing she remembers is Masterson raping her on a bed. She described it as rough. She said he was, quote, pounding, end quote. She indicated that she felt disoriented and wasn't conscious for very long. Mueller asked if she believed she was disoriented as a result of the alcohol and marijuana. She started to respond, quote, I don't think so, but, end quote. Mueller cut her off and moved on. Jane Doe 4 testified that when she woke up in the morning, Masterson was, quote, just smiling at me in a way that was very confusing to me, as if, you know, as if we were on a date or something sweet, end quote. She found her clothes scattered around the room. She got dressed and left without speaking to Masterson. She stated that she got a ride home from someone in his house, but couldn't recall who it was. Masterson asked if she recognized what had happened, presumably to explain why she didn't report to law enforcement. She responded, quote, No, I mean, I was upset by what happened, but I didn't know how to categorize it. I definitely felt a deep shame and disrespected, end quote. Once she got home, she asserted that both her vagina and anus were sore. She noticed bruising on her thighs. Jane Doe 4 testified that she later became acquainted with Jane Doe 2, the woman who described Masterson's verbal and physical treatment of her as predatory, and that in 2013, Jane Doe 2 shared with her the allegation that Masterson had sexually assaulted her. Later in her testimony, Jane Doe 4 explained that she didn't disclose her allegation at this time. Mueller then started to ask about subsequent interactions Jane Doe 4 had with Masterson, at which point Olmedo interrupted Mueller, concerned that he was leading the witness to discuss an incident of sexual assault that they had previously decided to exclude. Mueller clarified that his intention was to elicit testimony about an occasion when Masterson cornered her outside of a bathroom during a party. Judge Olmedo instructed him to lead her there. Then Cohen rose and made a motion for a mistrial, indignantly objecting to several aspects of Mueller's questioning, particularly to the moment when Mueller cut off Jane Doe 4 as she began to suggest her disorientation was a result of something other than alcohol or marijuana. Cohen implied that the judge was allowing Mueller to get around the court's decision to exclude allegations that Masterson drugged Jane Doe 4. In response, Mueller insisted that Jane Doe 4 had been admonished as to what she could and couldn't say, and reminded the court that he cut off the testimony as soon as Jane Doe 4 said, quote, I don't think so, end quote. Judge Almeida denied the motion for a mistrial. She stated that her ruling stands, then stated that the repeated attacks on the court's ruling don't carry weight as far as legal argument. Quote, I know right now you're passionate, but your objection should be based on reasoning, end quote. She reminded Cohen that her rulings are based on the evidence code and that she cites case law when making rulings, presumably so that in the event of an appeal, another court would understand her reasoning. After lunch, Mueller asked Jane Doe 4 about the incident when Masterson cornered her outside of a bathroom. She testified that she attended a daytime housewarming party for the producer of the 1996 film they worked on. She was there with her young son. 
Shortly after Masterson arrived, Jane Doe 4 went to the bathroom. When she came out, Masterson was standing in the doorway of the vanity area, with his hands on the doorframe, blocking her exit. She said that he was staring at her, quote, what I felt was a threatening stare, end quote. She quickly washed her hands and scooted past him. She testified that he did not say anything, and he did not move out of her way. She promptly got her son and left. Mueller then returned to her conversation with Jane Doe 2 in 2013. The two women met for tea in New York. Jane Doe 2 told her that Masterson had raped her. Jane Doe 4 said that she quickly changed the subject, quote, because I understood that she was a Scientologist, end quote. The defense objected on hearsay grounds, and the objection was sustained. Jane Doe 4 stated that she did not disclose her incident with Masterson at the 2013 tea. She stated that she disclosed her incident to Jane Doe 2 later, in 2018 or 2019, via text. Shortly thereafter, she spoke with Detective Vargas. When asked why she didn't disclose to law enforcement sooner, Jane Doe 4 explained, quote, I didn't process it in 1996 fully. I wasn't happy about it. I was upset. I understood it to be non-consensual, but I hadn't consciously actually categorized it as rape. And when I had heard about the case, it just, it hit me, end quote. Finally, she indicated that she had concerns about testifying related to harassment and intimidation, although she did not specifically mention the Church of Scientology. Mueller stated that he had no further questions. Before beginning cross-examination, Cohen asked for a sidebar, and the judge sent the jury out of the room. When they came back, much to everyone's surprise, direct examination continued, and Mueller proceeded to question Jane Doe 4 about her second incident with Masterson, which also occurred in 1996. Jane Doe 4 stated that about a month after the first alleged assault, Masterson showed up at her apartment in a Bronco with several other men, one of whom Jane Doe 4 knew personally. That man called to her and she came outside. They talked for a bit, then Masterson got out of the car and the others drove off. She testified that she was surprised that Masterson knew where she lived as she never, to her knowledge, provided him with her address. She and Masterson then went inside and talked in her bedroom. She testified that he had a flask with him. She took a few swigs and believed it to be whiskey. However, within the next 15 to 20 minutes, she began to lose consciousness. The next thing she remembered was Masterson taking off her pants and starting to rape her. She stated that she told him that she didn't want to have sex with him, and he laughed and continued to rape her. In addition, she was concerned that he wasn't wearing a condom. When she asked him to put one on, she said that he responded, quote, diseases are in the mind, end quote. On cross-examination, Cohen's strategy appeared to be trying to discredit Jane Doe 4 by demonstrating that she had been a willing participant in the second incident. He asked whether she felt terrified of Masterson after the first incident. She pushed back on that characterization. Ultimately, she testified that she did, in fact, allow Masterson into her house. Cohen then moved on to why Jane Doe 4 did not report her alleged assault to law enforcement. Although the jury heard expert testimony on various reasons why victims do not report, Cohen tried to show that those reasons do not apply to this witness. He asked whether she told Detective Vargas that she, quote, had not thought about it one single bit since it happened, end quote. She stated, quote, I did say that to him, but it was more that I hadn't processed it, end quote. Cohen then attempted to show that her memory had been contaminated by speaking with Jane Doe too. He asked whether coming to the conclusion that the incident was rape in 2019 had impacted how she viewed or recalled her experiences with Masterson. She was careful to say that, quote, it impacted how I viewed it, but it hasn't impacted how I recall it, end quote. He asked whether she had told Detective Vargas some of the details that came up in her testimony on direct. For instance, whether she mentioned that her anus hurt or that her thighs were bruised. She indicated that she did not recall and that she did not take any photographs of the bruising. 
When cross-examination picked up again on Thursday morning, Cohen asked Jane Doe 4 about a Facebook post she sent to Danny Masterson's brother, Chris Masterson, in 2017. Cohen read the post, which started, quote, Hey Chris, I saw a fucked up article about Danny. Just wanted to send you guys some support, end quote. It ended with XOXO. She indicated that XOXO is a friendly type of salutation. On redirect, Mueller returned to the Facebook message to give the witness an opportunity to explain. She clarified that the purpose of sending the message was because she had been warned about Masterson's friends from Scientology. Without going into detail, she stated, quote, I wanted to keep everything safe for me. Send a message signaling that I wasn't part of the case, end quote. She added that they had people in common and, quote, I just wanted to be able to work, end quote. She also stated that one reason she didn't initially disclose her incident to Jane Doe 2 in 2013 was because, quote, I thought she's associated with his group of friends, and I thought it was somehow connected to gaining information about what I might say, end quote. Mueller then sought to bolster Jane Doe 4's credibility by dispelling any implication that she has a motive for testifying other than to tell her story. He asked if she had ever filed a civil suit against Masterson or joined a civil suit with any of the other victims in this case. She said no. On recross, Cohen returned once more to the 2017 Facebook message she sent to Chris Masterson and the prosecution's implication that Jane Doe 4's purpose in writing it was to signal that she wasn't involved in a case against Danny Masterson. It seemed that Cohen was intending to show an alternate explanation for sending the message, which was that the assault never happened. Cohen asked her whether she had told anyone in 2017 that she had been raped. She indicated that she had not. With that, Jane Doe 4 was dismissed, and Detective Vargas was called back to the stand one more time. Deputy DA Mueller played a video recording of an interview that Vargas conducted with Jane Doe 3, Masterson's ex-girlfriend, in which she described her allegations against Masterson. When it was over, Mueller simply asked if the detective recognized the video. Cohen then began cross-examination. He once again tried to demonstrate that the detective would normally ask an open-ended question at the end of the interview, and that even still, Jane Doe 3 failed to disclose the November 2001 incident. However, most of Cohen's questions were met with objections that the court sustained. Cohen was able to elicit that Vargas understood Jane Doe 3's statement, quote, the year leading up to the rape, end quote, to be referring to the December incident of unconscious sodomy. Cohen then moved on to the testimony of Jane Doe 4. His strategy seemed to be to demonstrate that Jane Doe 4 had not told Vargas many of the details she gave when she testified. Vargas indicated that he could not recall her stating that Masterson, quote, barked orders at her or, quote, commanded her into his bedroom. He believed that she did not mention pain to her anus, but couldn't recall whether she mentioned bruising. Detective Vargas was then dismissed. Finally, the people called Rachel Smith, a fresh complaint witness for Jane Doe 2. Smith was close friends with Jane Doe 2 in 2002 and 2003, leading up to her alleged assault. Smith grew up in Scientology and was a Scientologist in 2003, but has since left the church. Smith gave testimony about the conversation she had with Jane Doe 2 in 2003, in which Jane Doe 2 told her she went to Masterson's house. Smith indicated that Jane Doe 2 said, quote, she begged him not to have sex, and then the next thing she knew, it was really rough and violent like a jackhammer, end quote. Smith stated that Jane Doe 2 began acting erratically after the alleged assault. At one point, she showed up at Smith's door at 4 a.m. crying. They stopped speaking after 2003 and did not start speaking again until Smith learned about the trial. At that point, she called Jane Doe 2 and asked if the charge was related to the conversation that they had had. Jane Doe 2 asked her to speak with law enforcement on her behalf. Smith indicated that they lost touch around 2017 and haven't spoken since the trial began. She testified that she had fears about testifying related to Scientology, but was not able to explain further. 
During cross-examination, Cohen once again tried to cast doubt on Jane Doe 2's allegation by asking whether she told Smith the details she described on the witness stand. In almost all cases, Smith indicated that she didn't remember those details. He then asked whether Smith told Detective Vargas that she didn't believe the incident was rape. Smith said yes, but indicated that she'd like to say more. Cohen cut her off. On redirect, Mueller gave her an opportunity to explain her change in belief. She stated, quote, based on my upbringing, things like that didn't happen, end quote, presumably referring to her beliefs related to Scientology. She went on to say, quote, I just normalized it. I just thought that they had kind of a fling, and it turned out that he used her, end quote. Mueller asked if her belief system has changed. She indicated that it has. Smith was then dismissed, and the people rested their case. On Monday, the defense announced that they would not be calling any witnesses and that Danny Masterson would not testify. In our next episode, we'll cover jury instructions and closing arguments. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And now with her review of recent witness testimony in the L.A. trial of Harvey Weinstein, here is Molly Miller. In our previous episodes, we've covered the testimony of Jane Doe 1, the Italian model and talk show host, Jane Doe 2, the model and actress who has publicly identified herself as Lauren Young, and Jane Doe 3, the celebrity masseuse. Today's episode will focus on the testimony of prior bad acts witness Ambra Badalana Gutierrez, who took part in a 2015 NYPD sting operation targeting Weinstein. Gutierrez is going by the name of Ombra B in court. However, she has gone public with her story, so we will use her full name. We'll also cover the contentious examination of Claudia Salinas, the woman who Lauren Young alleges closed the bathroom door at the Montage Hotel, trapping Young inside with Harvey Weinstein, where he allegedly assaulted her. On the morning of Tuesday, November 8, the prosecution called Ombra Badalana Gutierrez to the stand. The moment was a milestone for Gutierrez as it marked her first opportunity to tell her story in a court of law, despite telling her story publicly for years. The Italian-born model originally reported Harvey Weinstein to the NYPD in 2015 after he allegedly assaulted her. In a highly controversial decision, Manhattan DA Cyrus Vance declined to prosecute the case and charges against Weinstein were never filed. Under direct examination by Deputy District Attorney Paul Thompson, Ambra Gutierrez testified that she met Harvey Weinstein on March 26, 2015, at an after-party for a show at Radio City Music Hall. She recalled that Weinstein introduced himself, and that they had a brief conversation in which he remarked that she looked like Mila Kunis. According to Gutierrez, she was invited the next day to a casting session at Weinstein's office. During the meeting, Gutierrez showed him her professional modeling photos that included pictures of her in a bikini and lingerie. She testified that the producer looked at the photos and asked if her breasts were real. She told him that they were. Quote, then he said, are you sure? And he just grabbed me on my breast. End quote. According to Gutierrez, the advances continued. Quote, he was putting his hand on my leg and was repeating, just give me a kiss. End quote. Gutierrez testified that after she declined Weinstein's proposition, he exited the room and she struggled to maintain her composure. Quote, 
I was feeling like shaking and, I don't know, about to pass out or something, end quote. The witness explained that after the meeting, her agent discouraged her from reporting the incident due to Weinstein's power in the industry, but she ultimately decided to go to the police anyways. At the station, the officers directed Gutierrez to contact Weinstein and arrange to meet with him again, this time wearing a concealed recording device in hopes of getting Weinstein to confess to the assault on tape. Gutierrez testified that Weinstein invited her to a theater to see Finding Neverland the following day. Afterwards, Weinstein's driver took her to the Tribeca Grand Restaurant and Hotel, where Weinstein was staying. Plainclothes detectives followed Gutierrez, ready to intervene if the situation escalated. Gutierrez told the jury that she met Weinstein in the Tribeca Grand Restaurant, where he spoke about how she ought to learn to act and offered to be her mentor. Then Weinstein stated that he needed to prepare for an event and invited her to his room. Gutierrez testified that she reluctantly followed the producer upstairs, where they were stopped by an undercover cop posing as a TMZ reporter. To escape the press, Weinstein took Gutierrez to the penthouse in the hotel's service elevator. At that point, Gutierrez says she started to worry. Quote, I panicked. I knew nobody knew I was there. I don't think anybody had really followed me. My phone wasn't really working. End quote. Gutierrez testified that she insisted on leaving, but even when she exited the penthouse, Weinstein followed her down to the bar. There, officers reconnected with Gutierrez and told her to go to the bathroom where she hid for an extended period of time. At that point, DDA Thompson played a series of surveillance recordings showing Weinstein and Gutierrez in the entrance and hallways of the hotel. He followed up the videos with an audio recording of Gutierrez and Weinstein's conversation outside of his hotel room on the eighth floor. It included the following exchange. Weinstein, honey, don't have a fight with me in the hallway. Gutierrez, it's not nothing, it's Weinstein, please. I'm not gonna do anything, I swear on my children, please come in, on everything. I'm a famous guy. Gutierrez, I'm, I'm feeling very uncomfortable right now. Weinstein, please come in in one minute, and if you wanna leave, when the guy comes with my jacket, you can go. Gutierrez, why yesterday you touched my breast? Weinstein, oh please, I'm sorry, just come on in, I'm used to that. Alan Jackson briefly cross-examined Ambra Badalana Gutierrez for the defense, during which he tried to minimize the alleged assault that she experienced. Quote, The underlying incident that all this is about is that Mr. Weinstein touched your breast one time for one second. End quote. In response, Gutierrez stated, quote, I don't know if it was one second. It felt a lot longer. It felt like an eternity. End quote. After Gutierrez was dismissed for the day along with the jury, Claudia Salinas made an appearance before the judge with her attorney, Scott Rosenblum. According to Lauren Young, Salinas shut the bathroom door on her in the Montage Hotel, trapping Young inside with Harvey Weinstein. Salinas testified for the defense in Weinstein's New York trial that she remembered meeting with Young and Weinstein at the hotel, but that they never went up to his room. Rosenblum requested that Salinas be allowed to invoke the fifth in this trial, owing to the possibility that she could be charged as an accomplice to Weinstein. DDA Paul Thompson told the court, quote, I haven't charged her yet. I have no intention of charging her, but it is still within the statute, end quote. Judge Lynch stated that she believed that Salinas had already waived her Fifth Amendment right by testifying in New York and encouraged the attorneys to come to a compromise. Ultimately, Thompson refused to grant Claudia Salinas immunity or any guarantee against future prosecution. However, he did assure Rosenblum that, quote, 
If we were going to charge her, we would have charged her by now. End quote. The statement assuaged Rosenblum and his client agreed to testify. The following day, Claudia Salinas, a model and social media influencer, took the stand in a black and white houndstooth blazer tied at the lapels with a black bow. Her hair was tied back in a slick ponytail, and she exhibited an attitude which swung from blasé to combative, sometimes in the same sentence. From the outset of his examination, DDA Paul Thompson showcased an aggressive style that he had yet to display during the trial. He kicked off by inquiring about how Salinas met Weinstein. The model explained that she was introduced to the producer in 2003 while at a restaurant in New York called Cipriani. She was in her early 20s at the time, and Weinstein was around 50 years old. Salinas testified that she gave Weinstein her phone number and later met him for drinks. Subsequently, she was cast in three films produced by Weinstein's company, including a role as a dancer in Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. Thompson displayed a picture of prior bad acts witness Ashley M. on the court TV screen. Ashley M. previously testified that Weinstein sexually assaulted her while she was filming Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. Selinas stated that she did not recognize Ashley M. from her time on set, but she did see Weinstein once during filming of the movie at a cast dinner. Next, Thompson pivoted to Selinas' relationship with Lauren Young. Salinas testified that she met Young at a dinner at the Mr. C Hotel in 2012, and that afterwards, they became Facebook friends. She then invited Young to a meeting with Weinstein in 2013 at the Montage Hotel. Young alleges that Weinstein sexually assaulted her in his hotel bathroom after that meeting. Thompson implied through his line of questioning that Salinas had a pattern of orchestrating meetings between Weinstein and younger women. Quote, how many times did you arrange a meeting between Weinstein and a woman in her early to mid-twenties? End quote. Salinas replied that she never arranged any meetings, but that when Weinstein was in town, she liked to meet him for drinks with a friend because she didn't like being alone. Thompson responded, quote, You like to network. End quote. Salinas stated with exasperation, quote, You keep saying that. It's part of my work. I like being alone, to be honest with you. End quote. Thompson then asked if Salinas remembered meeting with Lauren Young and Weinstein's reality TV executive, Barbara Schneeweiss, in February of 2013. Young previously testified that she saw Salinas at a meeting with Schneeweiss the day after Weinstein sexually assaulted her. Salinas testified that she did not recall the meeting at all. Thompson appeared baffled by the response and said, quote, I'm not asking you this sarcastically. Is there something wrong with your memory? End quote. Salinas told the prosecutor that there was not. During a break, defense counsel Mark Worksman inquired if an upcoming witness would be allowed to testify regarding an occasion during which she allegedly saw Claudia Salinas performing oral sex on Harvey Weinstein. Judge Lynch ruled that the testimony would be inadmissible, which appeared to please the defense. On cross-examination, Mark Worksman continued the fireworks that had been started by the prosecution. He asked if Salinas brought Lauren Young to the montage to offer her up to Weinstein sexually. Salinas responded adamantly that she did not. Worksman continued, quote, Were you in the business of procuring women for Mr. Weinstein to have sex with? End quote. Salinas replied that she absolutely was not. Then the defense attorney took the thread one step further, quote, did you act as a pimp for Mr. Weinstein? End quote. Salinas gave a slight laugh and said, no. Additionally, Worksman sought to establish that Weinstein's relationship with Salinas was purely business, 
He elicited testimony regarding her involvement in a Latinx film fund started by Weinstein and emphasized the importance of networking to Salinas's career. The defense closed out cross-examination with a line of questioning explicitly about Lauren Young's allegations. Worksman referred to Young as Jane Doe II, which has been her name for the purposes of the trial. Quote, Did you see Jane Doe II go into a bathroom with Mr. Weinstein? End quote. Salinas responded that she did not. Worksman continued, quote, Did you ever close a bathroom door behind Mr. Weinstein and Jane Doe II? End quote. Salinas replied, quote, Absolutely not. End quote. In a fiery redirect examination, DDA Paul Thompson attempted to establish that Lauren Young never saw Claudia Salinas after the meeting at the montage because Salinas enabled Weinstein's sexual assault. Quote, You said when you parted company, you left on good terms. You said you thought you could be good friends with her. What happened on February 19th to change that so that you never saw each other again? Salinas retorted, quote, Does she even live in L.A.? End quote. Thompson responded, quote, Answer my question, please. End quote. Salinas replied that they fell out of touch. Quote, It happens. End quote. Salinas was dismissed from the court and appeared visibly shaken as she left with her attorney. The following days of the Weinstein trial gained a frenzy of media attention as Jennifer Seibel Newsom, wife of California Governor Gavin Newsom, took the stand. We'll hear about her riveting testimony in our next episode. Okay, joining me now for a discussion of their trial reports are jury duty correspondents Molly Miller and Brittany Bookbinder. Molly, Brittany, welcome back. Nice to be back, Carrie. Hi, Carrie. Brittany, the testimony of Jane Doe 4 seems to have been pretty intense. What was the atmosphere in the courtroom during her questioning? It was. And I would say the atmosphere in the courtroom was similar to all of the other alleged victims in this case. Just because Jane Doe 4's allegations aren't charged in this case, it certainly wasn't that there was any less credence given to her claims. And she came in and it felt in a way similar to the testimony of Jane Doe 2 in that she was very clear on how she presented her narrative during direct examination. And then during cross-examination, she was very clear about what she would and would not agree to. Philip Cohen was trying to characterize her testimony in one way, and she was fighting back. Molly, it's pretty stunning in retrospect that Harvey Weinstein wasn't charged on the Amber Gutierrez incident. What was the atmosphere like in the courtroom during her questioning, and what was it like when that recording was played for the jury? So there were actually only a couple reporters in the room for Amber Gutierrez's testimony. And part of that was due to reporters being called to other assignments for election coverage. And also part of that was because Amber is not a charged witness in this trial and her allegations aren't as severe as those that we've heard before from other prior bad acts witnesses. So there wasn't a strong air of anticipation for her testimony. But I have to say that once the audio was played, the room shifted. So it's the one time during this trial that we've been able to hear Harvey's voice more than just a few acknowledgments to the judge. And in the recording, we're hearing him in the act of pursuing a woman. And his tone wasn't always aggressive, but it was the persistence that was unnerving. This was a man who seemingly did not and would not take no for an answer. And I think that that had an impact on the jury and may have given them a glimpse of how he behaved as an alleged sexual predator. 
You know, as you were describing the impact on the courtroom, I was reminded of my feeling as I was listening to that very same tape played in the film She Said. It comes at a very climactic moment in the film, and it is, as you described in the Weinstein trial, it was in the movie the first time you heard Weinstein's voice, and it was in the pursuit of a woman. So I gathered from your reporting that it had an impact, but it's interesting to hear you confirm that it shifted the mood in the courtroom. Absolutely. Brittany, do you believe that Rachel Smith's testimony added to the credibility of Jane Doe too? It's interesting. I did feel that way. Rachel Smith is another fresh complaint witness for Jane Doe 2. And similar to Jordan Ladd, she corroborated basically what Jane Doe 2 said. What's interesting, and we can get to this in our next episode, Cohen really picked apart one specific thing she said on the stand, which was that it was her impression that Jane Doe 2 and Masterson had a fling. Now, It sounded to me when she was testifying that she was indicating that at the time, for various reasons, she didn't understand the allegation that Jane Doe 2 was describing to be rape. And then later, because of a change in her beliefs, she did start to see it that way at a certain point. It was not my understanding that she actually meant that Jane Doe 2 had used the words that she had a fling with Masterson. And yet that's exactly how Cohen presented this in his closing argument. So I don't know if the jurors were paying such close attention to where they would see that it immediately hit them that he maybe misstated the testimony. Certainly, I think if they go back and look at the transcript, I believe it will be clear that that's not what she was saying. But it's such a minor detail, it's a bit hard to say. I think he was certainly trying to paint her as somebody who was ultimately not helpful to Jane Doe too, but she spoke very clearly. She had a good memory of the incident. And even though she didn't state that she was told some of those details about the allegation, I think similar to Jordan Ladd, it was a short conversation and she could tell based on the way that Jane Doe 2's demeanor was and how emotional she was becoming that of course she believed her allegation. So yes, I think she lended to her credibility. And Molly, the Claudia Salinas testimony seems to have been very dramatic. Her contradiction of the testimony of the Weinstein trials, Jane Doe too, who has publicly identified herself as Lauren Young, was pretty stunning. What did you make of her testimony? So Salinas's testimony was a ride. And it was the first time that we really saw Paul Thompson show his teeth. He was on the attack from the beginning, and it was clear that Salinas just wasn't going to play ball. So overall, I think Salinas's evasive answers came across as pretty inauthentic. And I also think that her combative attitude lessened her credibility. But I do have to say that my whole opinion of the situation was probably tainted by the fact that outside the presence of the jury, we heard that Claudia allegedly had a sexual relationship with Weinstein. So I imagine that that dramatically influenced how I viewed her testimony. But the jury did not hear that. So they might not share my same perspective. Right. Brittany, Molly, thanks again for these fascinating insights. And as always, we're looking forward to your next round of reports. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks, Carrie. Looking forward to it. And with that, we conclude this episode of Jury Duty, The Trials of Weinstein and Masterson. Join us on our next installment as we hear more from Molly and Brittany about the progress of the prosecution's case in both of these sexual assault trials. Also, if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. 
Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You can find more information about these trials on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was reported and written by Molly Miller and Brittany Bookbinder. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trials of Weinstein and Masterson.